0: We're continuing this week in our series called Keep the Change. The thing that you say to a service worker, perhaps, when they tell you your total and you pass over the cash and you say, no, no, keep the change. It's about generosity, about giving for a change, for the change that giving can evoke in us, as we talked about, in our community, as we talked about last week, and today in the world as a whole the spirit of generosity that we are called to as people of faith can have an impact in the entire world. And that's what we're exploring today in the next few minutes. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. It was supposed to be a half-day project. Earlier this year, my father-in-law and I teamed up to paint a basement stairwell one weekend. We had the paint on hand and had already done the important work of putting up samples to choose the new paint color, so we thought we had a pretty straightforward task ahead of us and we set our expectations accordingly. A half-day of work and we could knock the whole thing out. But home projects are rarely... As quick as we expect them to be. We started by taking everything off of the walls, including the banister and a few stray hooks and other odds and ends, because half the work of painting is spent preparing to paint. And it was at that point the question was raised about what exactly should be painted. And if we were getting the walls, shouldn't we also paint the stair risers, the vertical back of every step, which was painted the same as the wall color? and we wanted to do it right. So the only possible answer was yes, even though that meant trading one of our rollers for a paintbrush and crawling on our hands and knees up and down the staircase to paint every step. And eventually we got the first coat of paint up and decided that despite the promising claim, plastered across the paint can about getting complete coverage with a single coat, it definitely needed a second go. And at the same time, our one paint roller was also struggling to roll evenly, so while I settled in to crawl along the steps painting the stair risers all over again, my father-in-law was off to the hardware store for a new paint roller, and maybe also another gallon of paint because the color was looking really good, and wouldn't it be nice to paint the bathroom uh, downstairs at the same time? Now, the bathroom took two coats of paint on its own and looked so good that, of course, the medicine cabinet needed to be rehung. And It was certainly time to finally put up the molding that had been lacking on the floor for so long. And by this point, the stairwell was painted, and it looked really good, which made it only more apparent just how much the floors needed a deep clean, especially there in the shadows. And it was probably past time for looking at replacing the light fixture in there. And the work just kept increasing and increasing. By the time we were finished that day, the sun was setting, and we were both exhausted. The only way that all of what we had accomplished could be counted as a half-day project was if we figure that a day is 24 hours long, and so 12 hours is, in fact, half of a day. This is what happens with so many home improvement projects. The initial task seems manageable, but can't help expand in scope to get it done right. And the same can be true with tasks around the church. And one of the trustees taught me about this sort of project creep using the familiar children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. As the book tells it, a mouse given a cookie will ask for a glass of milk and then a straw to drink it and then a mirror and on and on until the mouse has taken a nap, drawn a picture, cleaned the house and eventually is requesting another cookie. And what starts small can grow to become suddenly overwhelming. And it's not just the physical projects that can take on this unchecked growth either. As people of faith, we're tasked with considering improvements that make the world at large a more just and equitable place. But what starts with a fresh coat of paint here, or a bit of assistance there, can have us suddenly staring down the overwhelming systemic issues that plague the world, trying to help one hungry person, can quickly lead to questions about economic and educational disparities, societal stigmas so often rooted in racism and sexism, difficulties with mental health or the crushing financial burden of health care, and more. It's a complex, complicated, multifaceted, and overwhelming thing to consider. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples for the transformation of the world, which is audacious enough to leave a person gasping I mean, don't they know just how much of the world needs to be transformed? Do they realize just how many disciples that is going to take? It's an enormous and overwhelming task to take on. Paul's invitation here in Second Corinthians can be similarly overwhelming. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every type of grace, Paul writes. That way, you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. In the original text, the word for all is repeated four times over in this short section. God has given all the grace, all we need to provide for all the good works, but there are a lot of good works to be done. We can say what we want about God's abundance, but to provide for every good work, to do every good work, is an overwhelming invitation any way and every way we look at it. It's a bit much to take on. Now, this whole passage is a continuation and the culmination of Paul's financial request to the church in Corinth, which we've been exploring over the past few weeks the whole of 2 Corinthians has been building to this point so dramatically that the current scholarship actually considers this passage to be the end of the one letter to the Corinthians, while the remainder of 2 Corinthians comes from a later letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And we can see here a weaving together of some of the themes and ideas that we've recognized so far as Paul draws on all that he has in his request that the people of Corinth take up an offering to support the poor in Jerusalem, as Paul has been collecting from all of the churches he is in connection with. And particularly evident here once again is Paul's insistence that he is not forcing and not guilting the church into anything, for while generosity is an inescapable element of faith and followers of Christ can hardly choose not to love or not to do good works, there is nevertheless a freedom to determine the form of the good works and the shape of the love. And so instead of obligating the church, Paul leans into a metaphor about sowing and reaping as an invitation for the church. Now, outside of the context, some of this metaphor can be troublesome. The one who sows a small number of seeds will reap a small crop, while the one who sows a great number will reap generously, Paul says, which is mathematically accurate, but it does feel a bit like we are expecting the gifts we give into the world to be returned into our hands in abundance. You will be made rich to be ri- to be generous, Paul says a little bit later which is also troublesome because we can so easily be entangled in trouble when we see being rich as the goal. But within the larger passage, it is clear that Paul is not seeing a one-time transformation, returning our generosity with increased riches, but rather an ongoing increase in abundance. It's particularly clear if we follow the grace through the twists and the turns that Paul describes here. At the very end, Paul says, thanks be to God for these indescribable gifts, for these gifts that are beyond words. But the thanks there is actually the word grace. Paul literally says, grace be to God for the gifts that are beyond words. And so he charts this path that ends there and begins with God giving grace. The grace comes to us from God as a gift from God, and then that grace prompts grace in and among us as we share it, and then returns to God in the form of thanks. So it comes from God in and through all of us and returns back to God. But it's not a linear path that begins and ends, because it begins and ends in the same place, and so it becomes cyclical. And the grace which is given to us is returned to God, which is given to us, which is returned to God. And in all of that, there is a multiplication. And Paul speaks to this directly. He says, can you imagine the thanks that the people of Jerusalem will have? Except he doesn't just name the people of Jerusalem. The thanks will increase and multiply. If you give this gift here, imagine how it will spread and the thanks that will be given. And so the grace that will be given to God, that even more grace comes back and passes through us. There is a cycle of multiplication that Paul is describing here. And we might not have expected anything different because that's the metaphor he's using. That's how seeds work. You plant something small and only so many of them, and then they increase almost miraculously between the day of the planting and the day of the harvest. What you give in the sowing is returned in abundance in the reaping so that you might sow even more generously. And so it is clear here that Paul is not seeing just a single movement, that the church in Corinth should give now so they will have more later, but this ongoing and continual process of multiplication and abundance. And it is particularly clear as we consider some of the tenses that Paul uses throughout the passage. He writes some of it in the present tense, inviting them to give in this place here right now to this people that are in front of them. But then he also writes in big and sweeping words in the future tense about what will be. It says, God will provide. You will have everything you need. You will be made rich so that you can be generous. So he's inviting the Corinthians, give now and see what God does with the seeds that you plant. See how they return even more so that you can give even more. He has his sights set far beyond just this one project at this one time though he would like the Corinthians to begin here. But Paul doesn't see it as the ending. He is looking on into the future to the harvest. And he describes it in a particular way. To the harvest of righteousness. This, this harvest of righteousness is the end goal as Paul sees it. Not what we get from the giving, but what is created in abundance in the world. And what is a harvest of righteousness the word for righteousness here is the same as is used for justice. It is creating a right and just world. A world as God created it to be in the beginning. Where all of creation is in communion with all the rest of creation. Where love is abundant. Where forgiveness is offered freely. Where all people are shared, uh, shared together in the presence and the person of God, where there is enough for everyone. Paul sees giving here at this moment today in this way for the church in Corinth as the way to get to the far off overwhelming abundance of the harvest of righteousness and of justice. And so it's very clever how he does it because there is an overwhelming nature to describing the kingdom of God and the justice that will surely come. It's very easy to say, look at what God will do. Look at where we're going. Now just go get there. We think, how in the world will we ever do that? There is so much to be done. And so Paul lays out this picture, paints the far-off goal in the distance, but knows that it cannot all be done today. It can, however, be begun today. And so the large aspiration, the overwhelming hope of what is to happen is broken down into a single one-step goal. This is the sort of work that parents seem to be particularly good at, perhaps because the smaller and younger you are, the more likely something is to appear as big and overwhelming. And so the perspective that parents can bring to their children can be a powerful way of shaping that first step that will eventually lead to somewhere much bigger. In one of her books, Anne Lamott tells a story of how her her brother was tasked with writing an assignment for school on birds. He waited until the last day, the last evening, and was sitting at the table surrounded by books and encyclopedias open, to all sorts of things about birds. And he was breaking down because it was all just too much for him. There were too much and it was too overwhelming. And so his father sat down next to him and said, we've got this, buddy. We're just gonna take it bird by bird. Just bird by bird, one step at a time. There's a similar story about a a boy who was asked by his parents to go to the barn on a dark and somewhat stormy night. And so he walked out the side door on his way to the barn, but immediately came back in, turned around, and said, I can't see the barn to get there. And his his mother said to him, well, don't worry, take your flashlight and walk to the end of the light you have in front of you. As the little boy went out and did this, walked to the end of his flashlight light time and time again until he reached the barn for even the goals that are big and overwhelming that can hardly be imagined can be broken down into simple, single steps, into seeds that get us started. I don't know for sure, but I think just about every light in this church building is now an LED light. There are a lot of lights in this building, It's almost an impossible, overwhelming number. But over the course of the time that I've been here, I've seen them get replaced one by one, step by step, seed by seed, because sometimes when you're tasked with an overwhelming goal, a project that keeps expanding and leading to more and more, you just break it down to the first step and the first seed to do. And so that's what we have done with the lights in the building, and what we have done with so much else. For we know that we can't feed everyone that is hungry, but we can support the CRC, the Chelsea um, Resource, excuse me, the Community Resource Center, to feed some, and we can support and provide a place for the Manchester Family Services pickup once a month to feed some more, and we can have a blessing box outside of our door to feed some more. One step. And we can't house everyone who needs a home, but we can build one or sometimes two at a time with Habitat for Humanity by joining together with other churches in the county. And so every summer, someone can get a home. And we can't house everyone, but we can build a whole number of houses in Zimbabwe as we did not so many years ago when weather had taken down the ramshackle structures they were living in before and we came together to provide a gift, an offering, to ensure that the people of one village in Zimbabwe had somewhere to live. One step, one seed. And we can't wipe the tear from the eye of every person who grieves a loss, for there are so many. But we can wipe at least a few tears. We can offer the church for funerals as often as we know someone who is grieving. We can provide a funeral lunch because it's one step towards hope and healing. And we can't heal every illness of every person that we know but we can say a prayer. We can offer up people one by one on our prayer chain and we can pray for them. And in fact, I talked to one person this week who said they pray every time they see that email come into their inbox because they don't want to forget. One prayer, one step, one seed. The big and impossible goals, the overwhelming task that is laid upon the church and the people of God to transform the world will not all be done today. But it can be begun today. In a step, in a seed, by continuing to commit ourselves to the process of discipleship, by giving ourselves over to the work, Being formed by classes and studies and in worship, by giving what we have to the ministries that we do, we take it step by step, seed by seed. It's a slow process, an overwhelming goal. But there's no other way to do it. You do something slow, you do it right. I read once this week that the dominant form violence takes in modernity is speed. There's something immensely damaging about trying to do everything too fast and so fast that it can't be done well. Taking on so much and doing it all so quickly that in fact we don't go anywhere at all. Far better to find that first step and that first seed to plant so that tomorrow we can take another step and plant another seed until one day the harvest will be there, a harvest of righteousness and justice. And so we take a step, we plant a seed and we say, thanks be to God, grace be to God for the indescribable gift we have been given For the single seeds we have to plant and the bountiful harvest, which will surely come. Grace be and thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, I invite us as we continue in worship to now stand and sing.